Philippians chapter 1, beginning of verse 8. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of all, uh, and most of all the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. <coughs> so we left off last time, we covered verse 10, and we're just getting ready to get into, I mean, verse 9, we're just getting ready to get into verse 10. Let me read to you verse 10 uh, from the Amplified, um, in case you did not know this, the Amplified, the goal is to amplify what is being said, and it's a pretty good help at times when it comes to having a, uh, maybe a, a more complete grasp of what's trying to be communicated. So verse 10 reads this way, uh, so that you may surely learn to sense what is vital and approve and prize what is excellent and of real value, recognizing the highest and the best and distinguishing the moral differences that you may be untainted and pure and unerring and blameless, so that with hearts sincere and certain and unsullied, you may approach the day of Christ, not stumbling, nor causing others to stumble. So again, if you want to kind of keep it together, verse 10 really is a continuation of verse 9. So this is Paul's prayer for uh, these believers. So again, remember that what we talked about last time is, he was praying that, that they would love each other more. So remember, their problem is that they're not loving each other. They do love each other. They care for each other. But he's asking for it to increase. Then along with that, he wants their love for each other to, to grow according to and along with the increase in knowledge and discernment. So he wants them to, to grow in spiritual understanding. He wants them to be able to make proper and sound judgment in living life. Uh, the wisdom that he's talking about here, uh, which I think is brought out in the Amplified, is this ability we have to be able to figure out not only how life works, but what is good, what is best, what is wise, what is unwise. Uh, we have, we have a, a different way of evaluating what we should do in life and how we should respond in life. You know, in other words, for the believer, we, have a, uh, we, we would have a different paradigm. And what that means is, is we, we look at life through a different lens. And that lens is the scripture. And the Bible helps us to think about the world in a different way. Uh, so when I say that, the idea would be this. So let's say when it comes to a moral question. Uh, the moral question is, should whatever, the, whatever it is, should I do this or not? And that's not a bad question to ask. And we may be able to figure out that, yes, it's okay to engage in it, or no, it's not. But we, but we want to ask another question, because it's not always, it may be something that's not real clear. It's, it's not necessarily something that we might even consider evil. But should we engage in it? Well, but we would ask other questions as believers. Is this going to be helpful in my walk with the Lord? Is this going to be 
helpful in, in the maturing process uh, as a growing Christian? Is this going to be, uh, how is this going to be viewed by both non-believers and believers? In other words, because I know that my life is to reflect Christ, and my life in one sense is not my own. It is purchased with Christ, and I represent Christ. I'm an ambassador for Christ wherever I go. So there's more questions that, that we bring to the table as Christians that a non-believer is just never going to think about, and they don't care about, because it doesn't concern them. We need to be able to have, we need to have that understanding uh, when it comes to these things. So I'll give you an example. Um, so when it comes to what we call cross-cultural ministry, a lot, of, a lot of missionaries, they have to think about that when they go to other countries. Sometimes even in this country, depending if you're working with a certain ethnic group that maybe they've, they, they cling together and you're trying to help them know Christ, you need to, you need to be able to uh, discern the best way to communicate to them and with them when it comes to various things in the scripture. So let's say that a person is, um, uh, I want to say India, I'm familiar with some of that because of the time that I spent on the island of Mauritius. So on the island of Mauritius, and they do this in India as well, there's a festival that, um, that they engage in every year. It's a holiday. Literally, it's called a holiday. And they don't say it that way. I forget the way they pronounce it, but nonetheless. Um, it's this big celebration. It appears to be, um, on the surface, if, you, if you're just not thinking, it appears to be just, uh, I guess my, we might call it a secular holiday. But you have to remind yourself that if you're in India, there's no such thing as a secular holiday. That doesn't exist. Everything is religious. Everything is connected to religion, all of it. And so when it comes to this, there's this celebration, and they actually, they literally throw colored chalk on each other. Um, and it's supposed to be this thing where everyone's real happy. So when you check out the origins of this celebration that they engage in throughout this day and evening, you learn that its roots go into how, you know, because they worship a lot of gods, they worship actually a lot of demons, and they celebrate a lot of demons and demon relationships and all those types of things. And so this is a celebration of that. So now, when, when you, as you know that, and, and most of those in India know that's what that is, they may not be always thinking about it, but they know that's what, what that comes from. So <clears throat> the question then would be, as a Christian, even though we know that idols are nothing, do you engage in celebrating that with your neighbors? Now, I, I think the answer would be no. No way to get around it. Can't be done. Uh, you don't hate them. I'm not going to scold them. They don't know Christ. I am going to try to find a way to use that as an opportunity to share with them what I believe about Christ and why I don't, you know, being able to talk to them about what I believe without them feeling like I'm putting them down. And the reason why you have to be careful is because in countries like India, um, they view their religion and their culture like this. They don't separate it. So if you're questioning their religion, you're questioning the culture, you're questioning them. So you still need to move forward. You can't compromise on the truth, but you have to ward things carefully, ask a lot of questions, that kind of thing. So, it's, so, that's, so that's a very important thing. So the Christian needs wisdom in that. Now there's another thing that comes out of India that um, my personal belief is a lot of Christians have blown it when it comes to this. Um, but that is uh, the tradition we have of practicing 
yoga. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people think, well, that's just stretching. No, it's not stretching. Stretching is different. <laughs> there are some things in yoga and stretching that's the same, but they're very different, completely different. If you do any, do any research, you talk to, I think the, the, um, the, the, the ones who are into the philosophy of yoga, they really are called yogis. It's not Yogi the Bear, uh, but they really are yogis. And when you talk to them, they will tell you that there is nothing secular about yoga, period. That it is religious, and there's no such thing as a secular version of it. Because in our country, we try to secularize, secularize everything. We say, oh yeah, we don't, you'll hear people, oh yeah, we don't, we don't worship Hindu gods, we just do the stretching. Well, if you ever do yoga and you do the very first thing, which is to cleanse your mind, that's, that's, that's pagan um, meditation. It's, it's not biblical. You don't do that. You never, the Bible never tells you to empty your mind, ever. It's a dangerous thing to do. When we meditate, Christian meditation is always focusing on something, an object, content, which for us would be Christ, which would be the Word of God, the Bible. Um, that's meditation then as you mull over in your mind over and over again what a passage means, whether the passage is a verse or a paragraph, that's what we're focusing on. This idea of cleansing your mind and opening your mind is dangerous. You don't do that. So what takes place then is when you study yoga and you go through all of the various positions that, that you can get into when it comes to uh, stretching, some of them look very painful, but you find out that actually every single position is what you would call a worship stance. They all, it all has meaning, and it's a worship. Remember now, Hindus worship over 500 million gods. Now, when I say that, that doesn't mean that if we had a person from India, that that, that individual person worships 500 million gods. That's not what that means. All right? He has his family gods that he worships, all right? and there may be several different ones. But then you take the entire country, by the time you get everyone's families and all that, you end up with that, this incredible number of 500 million different deities, which is a combination of beings they call gods and beings that also would be demigods, demons, that kind of thing. So what happens is, uh, when it comes to that, is I believe that, I personally believe it would be wrong for Christians to engage in practicing yoga. It's, it is religious. I don't care what anybody says, it's religious. Uh, and I don't, and now it doesn't mean if you do it, you're going to suddenly become demon-possessed. Okay, I'm not, I don't teach that. I don't believe that's necessarily going to happen. But it's definitely one of those things that it's not best. And there's definite reasons for that. So as a Christian, we have to, we have to go beyond just what we see on the surface and ask ourselves more questions. Because we should recognize, just by reading through the Bible, Everything really is religious, remember? What does God say? All of creation communicates what? God exists. Looking at the stars is very religious. The stars are proclaiming, and when you begin to study, if you study astronomy or whatever you study, it all continues to bring out the incredible uh, significance that there's a creator God that exists. And he is highly intelligent, and this is his handiwork. Everything is religious, period. That's why we also know, from, again, from Romans 1, 
that even though individuals may claim to be an atheist and they can say what they want, what we know, according to the Bible, is there's actually no such thing as an atheist. There are no atheists in the world. None. Zero. I know that for a fact because that's what God says. God says every single person knows that God exists. That's it. No way to get around it. Now, the Bible also tells us that many suppress the truth. And so then when an individual claims to be an atheist, claims to be agnostic, that he, that's simply what he's doing. He is suppressing what he actually knows to be true. People are, people tend to be, we're human beings, remember, we're born with a sin nature. We tend to be intellectually dishonest, right? Meaning we can look at certain things and even though we know what that means, we deny it and say something else. And that's, that's what man does. And so everything is religious in that sense. So what we, we, what we need is, is we need this wisdom, we need this discernment uh, that he is advocating here. So this is what Paul then is praying for these believers. So when you look at this prayer of his and you, and you think about or meditate on what he's talking about, the prayers of Paul are great examples. They're great templates that we can use when it comes to praying for others. Sometimes, maybe often, when it comes to praying for others, we can get in kind of a rut and we get stuck and we end up normally only praying for physical things. Lord, I pray for Sanja. She has cancer. We pray that you give the doctors wisdom and she comes through her treatment okay. Nothing wrong with praying that. That's okay. All right. Then well, we're going to pray for Tom because Tom needs a hip replacement. And so we pray that he'll get nothing wrong with praying that. But after a while, our prayers tend to be predominantly that. When it comes to praying for others spiritually, if that person hasn't made a request, we often don't know what to do. So again, so if I'm, if I'm going to pray for, you know, so let's pray for Tom. And let's say that Tom says that he wants us to pray for some people in his family. They don't know Christ. Well, that's easy. Oh, yeah, we definitely can do that. So we, we pray for Tom, and we pray for some of his family members. We may even pray for them by name uh, because they don't know Christ, and we want them to hear the gospel, to understand the gospel, and so we pray for that. Someone, someone else may say, um, you know, pray for me. You know, my wife and I, we're not getting along as well as we should. And, you know, and so as a result of that, either we, you know, we, and they go through whatever, so we, we, that's kind of a combination of, well, relationships are obviously very important. Um, God wants that marriage to, to function the way it's supposed to, so we can pray for them and pray that God will give them grace, understanding, you know, that kind of, and that's all good. But if an individual hasn't asked for anything, how do we pray for each other? And a lot of times we don't know what to do. We, or we may say, Lord, man, Ron's a good guy. Let's bless him. And that's okay. He, he wants God to bless him. But we can do more than that. And the prayers of Paul help us with that. Right? Every single person who's a believer, I would assume, would want you to pray these things for them. I guarantee you I do. I want my love for other believers to grow. I want my love for believers to grow in love and discernment and wisdom. I want to have more wisdom. I, I want to have more of the Word of God in me. I want to be able to think better. I want to be able to think more clearly. I want to give 
advice that is not only honoring to God, of course, if it's honoring to God, you're already on the right track, but that's honoring to God that would be truly beneficial for that individual. In other words, you know, if I give someone advice, I don't, even if I give someone marriage advice, I don't want to only give them advice that helps them get along better. I do want to do that, but I don't want to only do that. If I give them advice on how to get along better and that works for them, that's a good thing. But that's not enough. What I want is for those two individuals, individually and collectively, to flourish spiritually. Because you see, if they don't, even if they do better at communicating, it's not going to last all that long. Now, it may last for years, but what have we really accomplished? A, a lot of people can do that, and that is great. And I'm sure they're grateful that they're getting along better. But if they're growing as Christians, then their relationship with each other would be more than just getting along. Their relationship it will it'll grow deeper. There will be a greater love between the two of them. Because they're continuing to change, and they're being changed by the Spirit of God into the image of Christ. And that's what, and so how do, how do we help people to do that? This is how we pray. Now, this is one example. There's a, at least, I think there's five major prayers of Paul that are in, uh, in his epistles. Five different ones. And so whenever you come across them, whenever, you, whenever he says, like, you know, I pray, or we pray, or whatever, you want to take a good look at that, and maybe even diagram it, or, or kind of maybe write it out and... and, and categorize it to help give you some ideas as, as to how you can pray for other people and how you can pray for them spiritually. Because as believers, that's what we really should be doing. So as, so, you know, if you become, you know, within every church, this is always going to be, it's always going to be like this and it's okay. Um, where there are going to be some people we, we get along better with than others. Doesn't mean we don't get along with others, but there are certain people we just get along better with and maybe even get closer to. And that's okay. But part of that is not just to be buddy-buddy. Okay, along with that, then, there should, there's, normally what happens in a relationship is you begin to care more for those individuals because you know them better. So what goes along with that as a Christian is I want them to grow in, in, in their maturity as Christians. For me to pray for the maturity, that doesn't mean I think they're not mature. It doesn't mean that. It's not like, oh, yeah, i gotta, got to pray for Ron. I mean, the guy's been a believer for a while, but, you know, no, that's not what we're doing. The idea is no matter how mature we are, we want more of that. We're human beings. You know, the, the flesh is weak. And so we, we want to um, so be able to, to grow in that way so that we have even greater wisdom and greater knowledge. And, of course, that then increases the peace that we have with God and increases the peace we have in our life. And along with that, because of the day and age we live in, Remember that we live in a time where, for whatever the reasons, there, it, and it may be, and it's more than just that it's more pronounced, but there's a large number of individuals who go through a lot of struggles, either mentally or emotionally, depending on how you want to say that. It, it's enormous. And sometimes we'd be surprised if you hear the kind of struggles different individuals go through. We don't always know what they go through, but I know this for a fact. We are pray as we pray for others to grow in this way, in discernment and in knowledge, whatever struggles they have, emotionally or mentally, gets better. Because the mind becomes more disciplined. And, and the mind becomes more disciplined, becomes stronger, right? because, because this, remember, 
what we are inside. Remember that the word psychology means study of the soul. So that's why we have to be really careful when it comes to secular psychology, because it's messing with the inner man, and, the inner, and God is the expert on the inner man. Remember that secular psychology, always their foundational principles is always God doesn't exist or he doesn't matter. It's always that. Just, if you don't believe me, ask a shrink who's not a Christian. Say, do you consider God in all this? Well, it kind of depends on the patient. In other words, this idea that there is objective truth and God has something to say about the human condition and that God is helpful, that they're not, they don't think that way. It's, well, if that, that can be a tool we can use. So if I'm helping Ron because I know he's very religious, then I'll use God language. That's, that's how the world views it. That's not what we're trying to do. We're not using God language. We're not playing a game. We believe God is a, is a person. He actually exists. We should believe that he actually answers prayer. So then when we are praying these things for individuals, we want to hear that, that God is answering these prayers. Now, it can be difficult. We're not always going to hear this because normally, if we're praying for someone this way, I'm praying for this way for David, and let's say I'm doing it for two weeks, I doubt very much that David's going to come up to me one day and say, have you been praying for me? Because you know, over two weeks, I've really matured as a believer. Right? That, that, we, don't, we don't talk like that, and that just doesn't happen. All right? However, I do believe this. There will be times that you will recognize that an individual seems to be changing or growing. Whether you hear them talk about how they handled an issue, and you're aware that, yeah, I don't think they would have handled it that way two months ago. Or that individual says, you may actually hear them say, they don't know who's praying for them, but they'll say, you know, I've, I've just noticed that I'm starting to handle certain things differently now. How, how great is that? We, remember, we pray for people that makes a difference in their lives. It pleases God to work through our prayers. It pleases God to do that. He wants to do that. And, and this obviously brings honor to Christ. And those things that bring honor to Christ, God's going to give us, and he's going to... Um, uh, answer. So again, looking at verse 10, he says, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless. So to be pure and blameless, the idea is that in our behavior and in our motives, okay, we're blameless. There's no ulterior motive. I'm not trying, we're not trying to get someone, we're not even trying to get someone to like us more. That, that, that can't be our goal. All right, we, 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 remember, we don't want to think like the world. The world is unbelievably focused on themselves. And they're so wrapped up in themselves that that's the paradigm they use to evaluate everything. How does this make me feel? How does that person make me feel? How does this event make me feel? I mean, it's always something like that. And we just need to, we just need to get away from it. It doesn't matter how you feel. Right, we, need to go, we can go way beyond that. So the idea then with this is that my motive, now, so it's not wrong that I want people to like me better, but I'm not thinking about it. I want to do what's honoring to God, period. If, if I'm doing that, then that other stuff will take care of itself. Mm -hmm. And remember, you will never get everyone to like you. And you will never get certain people to like you more. you got no control over that. And if you try to do that, then you're going to end up trying to either to manipulate or bribe or whatever, and you'll always be extremely disappointed in the end, or you'll be betrayed. All right? So just don't even go there. Uh, I, I believe that what will happen is, 
as we are caught up in living for the Lord, God blesses our relationships, and, and we will have relationships uh, that will deepen and become even more meaningful, and our lives will be much more fulfilling, and we're not trying to do that. But God blesses us in that way. Some of us have friends that we, that I, I have a few friends. I have more than a few friends. No, I have a few <laughs> friends that I know. There's a few friends I have that I know that if, that if I had some unbelievable need, no matter what it is, I know I can call them, and I know they would do whatever it takes to help me. Now, I've never had to do that, and I'm glad, but it's good. And I don't, I don't think about it every day. I don't wake up and go, oh, it's going to be a good day, because i got friends who will do whatever I want. You know, I don't walk around doing that. But, but you do have a sense of satisfaction and fulfillment when you know that you have relationships that aren't based on shallow things like we both like the same football team. And I'm glad we like the same football team, but that's just not a thing. I tell people all the time, I said, that, you know, I have friends and they like the Dallas Cowboys. Who would have ever imagined that? <laughs> all right? But the thing is, is that, that we, and we should want others to pray these things for us. In fact, even if you, want to, if you pray for yourself, which is not wrong to pray for yourself, but you're not praying for yourself, saying, Dear, you know, where sometimes the only time we pray for ourselves is we want to raise, we want our boss to like us, and you can do all that. But you want to pray these things for yourself. Lord, I, I'm asking that you would help me to grow and my love for other believers will abound more and more. I, I want my love for others to grow in the knowledge of God. And I, and I want it to grow with, with discernment. You know, I want that wisdom so I know there may be certain people that I need, maybe, maybe I need to be more expressive with them because of a need they have. And others, maybe not so much. But I want to have that discernment. So when you pray for yourself, these are the things that we can pray for. Not the ingrown toenail. You want to pray for your ingrown toenail? Fine. All right, but there's things that are just way more important than that. And so, and so we need to move. I think at times we need to move off those things. In fact, I'll tell you, there's, there's a thing you can do every now and then, which I actually think it's a very healthy thing to do. It can be hard, though. So you set out for the next two weeks that when you pray for yourself and others, pray for nothing, nothing physical, only spiritual. I actually had a guy one time tell me, he says, man, I ain't got nothing to say to God. But I said, woo. But he was honest. You know, and so we talked about the prayers of Paul. And uh, so some things changed in his life. But, but try that. I'm not, so I'm not saying, it's, okay, it's not a sin, again, to pray for someone's physical condition or for the doctors to give, give them wisdom. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong for us to pray for God to heal individuals. We do need to remember Okay, this isn't, I'm not trying to be a party pooper, but we need to remember that most of the time, God doesn't heal miraculously. Right? He can heal miraculously. He often doesn't. I'm not saying we should never pray for that. I would pray for that. Certain situations, certain people, especially my grandkids, and I want God to, to heal them miraculously. I'm going to pray for that. But I also know that most of God's not going to do that. I'm not disappointed if God doesn't do that. Because I know there's a lot more going on than meets my eye and my understanding. Because I trust God implicitly. But at the same time, because we so easily get caught up in only the here and now, 
with these physical things, then for us to try to take almost like a sabbatical, a time away from that, where we only focus on the spiritual, it can be eye-opening. Uh, it can be very revealing as to what we normally pray for because now an enormous chunk is just taken away. But it's also beneficial, I think, because it forces us maybe to think about the people we're praying for. When I, when I, and it's a good thing to do. So when you, if you're praying for someone who's, let's say they're, they have to get treatments for cancer, I do pray for them and that the doctor will give them wisdom and that their body will respond to the treatment. But I also try to make sure I always include things like this. I know they're going to meet other cancer patients in the waiting room. I ask that God would give them opportunities to share the Lord with those people. Because other people who have cancer who don't know the Lord, what hope do they have? They're living in fear. What comfort do they have? And if the prognosis for them is not good, who do they turn to? How do they handle that? And if they're facing death, so you see, it's, it can be very important for those who have cancer who are believers that we recognize that even if the doctor's taking a little bit too long to see me, that the people that come into the waiting room, that they, are, that they may be there by divine appointment, that God wants them to meet you so that you can just discuss how are you handling this? Like, you can always you can ask them, how are you handling things? You know, when you get, da, 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 and eventually what they would normally do is say, how, do, how are you handling it? Oh, I am so glad they, are you so glad they asked? And you can say, well, you know, I, I pray to God. And they may say, oh, oh yeah, 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 we, we pray too. That's okay. You can go back to, yeah, when I pray, this is what I believe God will do. And there are many people in my church that are praying. And you can share with them about prayer. And then, if you really want to blow their mind, say, but you know, we don't always pray that I want that for my healing. Like, huh? <laughs> They're like, well, what would you pray for? Because <laughs> in their mind, that's the only reason why you would pray. But again, it gives us opportunities to be able to talk to them. And so I, so, uh, and it's always great to hear when individuals in our church have gone through cancer treatments and they'll talk about it. Every now and then it'll happen. They'll say, you know, we were, uh, there was a few times in the waiting room, we met a couple of families and, and we were able to talk to them. Now, in some cases, they talk to other believers and that's an encouragement to them. But then sometimes they meet others who, they, they may say they're believers, but they may not be. But when they hear about your confidence in the Lord, they're listening. And so, what a great thing that is. And we ask God to give them wisdom. Uh, and who knows what may come from that. And then, of course, along the way, remember there's doctors and nurses who don't know the Lord. And, uh, and so sometimes what I pray, especially if, when it comes to the, I mean, I know I'm in the group of older people, but sometimes when I pray for the older believers who are having treatments, I ask that God would, would not allow the doctors and nurses, because, you know, sometimes, you know, they're, they're, they're trained, they're going to be nice to you. And so, you know, they, they may say, oh, yeah, so-and-so, so, he's just a nice old man, and, you know, it's just so cute because they're so religious, he and his wife, and they're always praying. And so they kind of view us as being sweet old people who have a nice religious crutch. Well, I want them to get beyond that. I want them to be able to see that for us, this is, this is not a crutch. This is life. There's, there's reality and, and that I believe and that God has answered prayer, and there's very real help that is there. So we can pray that. 
uh, for others. And so then when you hear how someone says, yeah, we were, we were talking to an individual, and sometimes, and I know how this goes, you can be really, you may not be very good at starting a conversation. I'm actually, I'm horrible at starting a conversation. I'm now once we get going, I can get going. Right? But I'm really bad at starting it for all kinds of reasons. It doesn't really matter. That's just how it is. Right? But I've asked the Lord to do this before, and he does it. He will. So be ready. It's a good thing. You know, I'll say, Lord, I did this at Starbucks once. Actually, more than once. But I did this at Starbucks once. I said, Lord, I said, it was a Saturday morning. And what happened was, you know, I always got books to read. And I brought the wrong books. I had four books, and I already read all of them. And I said, I said, well, Lord, I said, I mean, you know, I, I would love to talk to anybody about spiritual things. And I told the Lord, I said, Lord, I, I mean, I'm not really, I said, I know you know I'm not good at starting stuff. But man, I'm, I, I'm, I'm open and willing. Now I'm sitting in this nice, big, soft, cushioned chair. And the moment I say amen, this older gentleman, I know I always say older. You, th- you must think he's really decrepit, but because I'm old. But anyway, he was older than me. But he came and he sat down. And he's got his newspaper in his face, you know, and so I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm trying to think of how I can get something going, and it's just not, it's not happening. Mm. Then all of a sudden he puts his paper down, and he goes, what are you reading? I got a book in my lap, and the book happened to be, uh, I think it was a Francis Schaeffer book, God is there and he's not silent. So I said, well, I'm reading this book by a Christian philosopher, and it's called, and I told him, he goes, oh, you go to church? I go, yes, I do, every week. <laughs> you know? And so then he said, then he said this, yeah, I go with my wife, but I don't believe. This is so great. So I asked him, really? So why do you go? And we, we talked for an hour. Now, I wish I could tell you that when the hour was over, the guy, he fell to his knees, and, believe, and he didn't. But we had, I had a great chance to talk about the gospel uh, and a lot of different, just a lot of things that were going on. It was fun. And he had the, he had the leaves. He got up and left. I said, Lord, thank you. That was great. Cindy was doing something. So I said, I got more time. <laughs> you know? And then this girl sits down. She's a SCAD student. You got to know, there's all kind of stuff there. It was great. And so she sits down, and uh, I had switched books. She goes, what are you reading? I go, oh, there's this book by John Piper, Don't Waste Your Life. Really? What is that about? So I could have said, well, don't waste your life. I didn't do that. I kind of explained to her what the book was about and what was going on, and, and I told her how great it was. And I said, you know, you wrote another book, and it was called 50 Reasons Why Jesus Was Crucified. I said, I said, have you ever thought about that? She goes, 50? I go, yeah. It's re- I said, it's really good. I said, I said, I said hold on. I reached out, I had, a, I had a little bag, man bag, but you had a bag. <laughs> I reached in, and I had, I had, because you know, I had six copies of the book, I brought up two copies to give away, and I go, I would love to, to give this to you if, if you're interested in reading it. She goes, you would give me a book? I go, yeah, it's really good. I've read it. I said, it's, it's awesome. And then she started telling me how she went to church off and on, never really paid attention. We talked about an hour. And so she thanked me again for the book. Um, and she said, she said, now, I don't know if she read it. She told me she was. Remember, along the way, I, don't, I, don't, I may never hear back what happens. But you know what? If she reads that book, or at least part of it, she may meet another Christian one day. And they start talking. She says, yeah, you know, this guy gave me a book. 
called da da da. And I read some of it, and it said, you know, I've been thinking about that. So if I'm just planting a seed, I'm I'm in favor of that. All right, no problem. So when we pray, we can we can move away from just the physical things that we're used to always praying about and move into these things that really I think are more important. All right, so I just don't want so I don't want you to go home and say, well, Bob said it was a sin to pray that someone gets healed. It's not what I'm saying. All right, but there are things that are more important to pray for or to be focused on, um, and. Uh, and so, so these prayers of Paul then, when you think about them in that way, uh, I think it's very helpful. He goes on in verse 11, he says this. So we may pure and blameless for the, day, for, for the day of Christ, filled with fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So the idea here is, is that we are filled with the fruit of righteousness. So being filled with the fruit of righteousness, when it comes to being fruitful, as a believer, there's two ways to look at that. Both will be applicable to that. Number one, there is fruit that comes that's the result of, of our sharing Christ with others. Whether you're leading a non-believer to the Lord, or maybe you're helping a believer grow in their knowledge. All right, you're, you're reproducing yourself, so that's fruit. But there's also there's the fruit of the Spirit. It is what God produces in you through His Spirit as you grow. And the idea is, is that um, Galatians talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, kindness, all that. So the idea with that is that all of those things ought to be exemplified in our lives as Christians. And like fruit, remember most of the time fruit ripens unevenly. All right? so, so it's not like, well, I'm going to work on kindness today, uh, but I'll work on joy later. You don't, have to worry, you don't have to approach it that way. Just grow in the Lord. And what will happen is, is those things in your life will, be, will continue to increase. It will become more a part of your character, part of who you are as an individual. So your life is filled then with, with the right fruit of being joyful and loving and kind. I don't know about, I don't know about you, but there are certain, it's, it's more than just personalities. Personality can have a lot to do with it, but there are certain believers that when you meet them, you can kind of tell a lot about them because it's all right out there, right? There's, there's a, the missionary we support in Uganda. His name is Shannon Hurley. That's what he's like. He is, he's unbelievable. He's always smiling. You ever go anywhere with this guy, just tighten your belt. Uh, because it's, it's, I mean, he's just about the Lord. Everywhere, always smiling. Everything is great. He's always asking questions. And he's genuine. You know, he's not pretending. He, this is genuine. He's, it's incredible to see that. So this man, as you see, you, you know, whatever the, as, as the fruit in his life ripens, you're going to see it right, right in front of your eyes, which is a great thing. So the idea then is you and I interact with people, whether it's your wife, your husband, your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors, whoever, we should be continuing to change as individuals. And this isn't the idea of, like the world says, you know, they're, you know well, I'm going to go on a journey trying to find myself. You don't have to find yourself. The Lord's already found you, right? And you already have an identity. You don't have to find, you don't have to look for your identity. Your identity is Christ, right? I know who I am in Christ. I'm, I've been adopted to his family. My life now is to honor him. Done. No self-discovery journeys needed. So you don't have to go to the Himalayas and climb to the top of Mount Everest barefooted. Right? You don't have to do that. All right? So the idea then is that then as you relate to people, it's more People should be able to see, they will be able to see more of Christ in you. 
Because that, that's, the, that's the fruit of righteousness that God produces in your life. And of course, what hinders that is always going to be sin. Giving in the sin hinders that, hinders the ripening of the fruit. It hinders the expression of that. And so as we pray for these things, we want to overcome sin. We're praying about that as well, but it's not only, Lord, help me not to sin, Lord, help me not to sin, Lord, help me not to sin. Right? That's part of it, but it's these things here too. And so he's telling us, kind of giving us this complete picture of what he's praying for for these individuals. Remember that when Paul writes these letters, often these churches in these cities, that's the only Christian church there is. There's not another group. They're it. They are a minority. They, you know, there's, there's no Christian government. There's, there's no one who's even adopting what the Bible says. All right? There, there's the people that they don't even care that they're Christians. No one cares. Right? The, the morals that, that are being followed by the society they live in. I mean, I know it's bad here. It's, it was just as bad then. Except there was, it was maybe, in a sense, I think it was worse to a degree. Um, there, there's, there's no hidden agendas. And what's going on now is not new. Even with all the transgender stuff, that's not new. It's this old stuff. We just aren't used to it because our country, way back when, adopted a lot of what the Bible said as far as a moral standard. We're moving away from that now because we're a secular nation. And that would be the norm for a secular nation to move away from that uh, for a lot of different reasons. So what we are seeing and what we are being faced with is not a, it's, it's not, uh, I, I don't, it's not a big conspiracy against Christians. That's the way of the world. The way the world naturally hates anything associated with God and Christ, even if they don't even make that connection. The idea that, that in our world, in our society, they hate absolutes, it's because they hate God. They don't know that, but that's what that is. That's hatred against God. When it comes to, they hate anything that's moral. They hate it. It's because they hate God. They don't know, they don't always know they hate God. They don't always make that connection, but that's what that is. That's what God says it is. And so, you know, we may have to, find ways to help them understand that. But that's all normal. That's, not, that's how the world is. You know, the, the, the belief that, well, everybody lies. And so they don't, you know, yeah, everybody lies. Well, I don't want to live in a world that way. But that's how the world is. So, you know, the, the odds, in that sense, are against these people big time. Much in the same way it is with us. And so, praying this way then becomes even more important. Uh, as we depend upon God uh, to help us as we, uh, as we go along in life. Um, let me read to you uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul writes this to the Corinthians. Again, just in case you had forgotten, remember that the church in Corinth, Corinth was such a wicked city that um, to Corinthianize a person was a euphemism for causing someone to become basically super wicked. Um, that's how bad this, the city was. It, it was unbelievable. They, uh, the prostitution, they're not the only place that did this, but the prostitution in Corinth was well known because if you, like let's say, there's no mall, they didn't have a mall back then, but if you, but if you went to the food market and you brought your kids with, her, with you, let's say you're a man, you bring your kids to go pick up the whatever for, uh, for dinner, the prostitutes would come right up to you, and they'll let you know, hey, you can come spend, the, spend a few hours with me. It's this, I mean, it's right there. It's all right there out in the street. 
No, there's no red light. There's no where to drive at night where it's dark. Gets us all out in the day. It's known. In fact, the, the people in the city would know there'd be certain times of the year when, when more of them would come down from the temple and, and almost invade the city uh, and making themselves available to individuals. And there was stuff going on all over the place. So it, it was pretty wild. But he, this is what Paul writes. 1 Corinthians 3, beginning of verse 10. He says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. Someone else is building upon it. So let each one take care how he builds on it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. I, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on, the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So again, when you go back to Philippians, he tells us that, um, he says in verse 10 again, so that you may approve what is excellent, so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. The day of Christ uh, alludes to this day, there's this judgment that's coming. Now again, for the believer, we're not being judged for our sins, but what we do, how we build on the foundation of Christ will be judged. For it, basically, it's quality. So the things that we do for Christ will survive the, judge, the fire of judgment. All right, so it's, it's purifying fire. But things that we did, even if they were good things, but we did them for ourselves. We wanted others to notice us, or we wanted the praise of men, or maybe we're hoping to, if I do good for that person, they'll do good for me, or whatever it happens to be. Those things will be destroyed. But there's... But the work that we do for God, there's going to be this reward. And so Paul talks about being careful how you live and make sure that you're living for the Lord and that you build, that you build your life uh, in a very careful way because, again, there's this day that's coming that's going to disclose what you've done. And, again, the idea is that you don't want everything you've done to be burned up. So the idea here is that as a believer, the way you live matters to God. So we, have this, we know there's this day that's coming where I'm going to be held accountable. I know that um, uh, God judges without partiality. And I want to make sure that what I do lasts for the Lord. And the only way that I can do that is to depend upon him for strength and wisdom and ability because I'm unable to do these things <laughs> in my own strength in my, in, uh, in my own way. I'm unable to do that. So I need him. So I pray for this. I want others to pray these things for me. And I'll pray those things for them so we then can individually and together move forward in this way so that God will be glorified. Amen. And so that's what he's, that's what he's talking about here uh, for these Philippians. Now Paul, remember, as he writes all these things to encourage them, remember he is not sitting in the Hilton where he has a nice, comfy chair and a king-size bed. He's in prison. He's in prison because he's a Christian. But he's writing this for them because he cares about them. And he, wants, he, he, always, he always wants to see them grow. He wants what he says to be profitable for them. He wants them to be thinking in a particular way, to be thinking as Christians. Uh, and so again, that's how we approach life. I think I mentioned it before that when it, so uh, real, real, we'll, run through a, we'll run through a list real quick. So you're at a job, 
and you're offered a promotion. Besides the fact that it may give you more money, you need to seek God's wisdom because what else is going to change if you get that promotion? It may be a good thing, but it may be a ploy of the evil one to get you away from something. A new a quick story. New guy in Hawaii, longshoreman, uh, strong Christian man. Uh, he got off work every day at uh, 2 p.m. Uh, he had a great, great reputation at work. Everybody thought the world of this guy. Everybody wanted this guy to become the next, uh, it's not a ma manager, but it's a manager position. But they all want him to kind of end up becoming the boss man. Everybody wanted him to do that. One day his boss came to him and said, I know you've been waiting for this for a long time. He says, I want you to know I'm, I'm, I'm offering you this job. The job brought a significant raise. And he said, well, before I accept it, I need to talk to my wife and we need to pray and I need to talk to my pastor. I said, okay, whatever. So he went home, talked to his wife, talked to his pastor, they prayed. When he was talking to his wife, his wife then asked this question. She says, if you become the manager, what are your hours? And he said, well, my hours would change. I wouldn't have to go in so early and I would work nine to whatever. So then, so then she said, so then you have to give up your afternoon with the boys. Because what happened was, is he, he, uh, he wanted his, he had three sons, he wanted them to always bring their friends to their house. He built a basketball court, they had an extra refrigerator outside in the garage filled with a bunch of food for teenage boys. Alright? <laughs> Alright, because he, want, he wanted to come to his house and he was always there with them because he was home at 2 p.m. So she said, so you're going you're to have to give that up because you won't be around anymore. He goes, oh, I thought about that. He said, we, we need to really pray. In the end, he went back to his boss. Yeah, I, I can't do that. His boss said, you know that this opportunity for you will never come around again. This is your only chance. He goes, it's not what God wants me to do. I'm doing what God wants me to do. Uh, which, which is a ministry, and that's what's most important. So, yeah, I, I have to turn it down. His boss thought it was crazy. But you know what? I think he made the right decision. So that doesn't mean every time you're offered a, a new job or a change, it, it, it's going to take you away from what God wants you to do. But we have to consider that as a believer. Let's say you get a raise at your job. Some people, they think this. Honey, got a raise. Time to move to a better neighborhood. <laughs> well, wait a minute. Does God want you to move to a better neighborhood? Maybe you should stay in the neighborhood you're in. Right? I mean, unless people are shooting at you, I mean, I, maybe you should stay. Maybe you should take the raise and just build an addition to your house and have more people over. Now, I'm not saying that, that for everybody has to do that, but maybe. But that would be the questions. Or there's more questions to ask. It's not always so obvious. All right, that um, this should be done or that should be done. So we want to make sure that we're, you know, we're, we're kind of, we want to bring that wisdom and then those questions and insights to the table as we live for him uh, because everything that we do will be judged by God uh, in, in that way. 1 Corinthians 3, 5 says, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So again, another passage, another verse here that 
is emphasizing this idea of making proper judgment because there's this day coming. The Amplified reads this way. So do not make any hasty or premature judgments before the time when the Lord comes again, for he will both bring to light the secret things that are now hidden in darkness and disclose and expose the secret aims and motives and purposes of the hearts. Then every man will receive his due commendation from God. So again, the idea is, is there should be the sober reality of the day of the Lord on all of us, and it should have a purifying effect on us, a sobering effect, that I'm, that I'm going to approach the day now, today, differently, because that day is coming. In the same way that if there's, if there's any big day coming up in your life, you tend to make a change in your life. Right? Man and woman are getting engaged to get married, and they're going to be getting married in six months. Well, the changes in their lives usually start right now. The way they plan is different. The way they think is different. Um, when, 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 they, when they think beyond a certain date because they're getting married, everything is very different. You, things begin to change because of that day. So that your existence today changes because of that day. Same idea, except obviously it carries a lot more weight. And, that, and so we are to think about these things. Um, again, this doesn't mean that you wake up every morning and say, oh, I'm going to be judged by God. It's not a, it's not a negative thing, right? but it's, it's a reality uh, that, that I'm accountable to God. And um, so you never want to, I know it can be hard to do that, you never want to think about these things just in the flesh. Right? So you don't have to make a list of all these things you have to think about. I think what it is is this. As you read the scripture on a regular basis, read the scripture slowly, think about what's being said. Take that into consideration, how it may affect your life, and you move forward. It is very easy to do with the New Testament because of how the New Testament is written, and that's okay. All right? So read through these things and think about these things in that way, and that will have a very, should have a very positive effect on your life as a believer. And, then, and what comes along with that is a greater sense of satisfaction, a greater sense of contentment, a greater sense of joy, uh, your outlook on life will be very, very different. The way you handle difficulties and good things will be different. You'll still have your ups and downs. There'll still be times that you really are going to blow it. Right? But, but it, you're still going in this direction. You're still, going, you're still being conformed to the image of Christ. And so it may be kind of like this, but hopefully at the end of five years, you're still going to be up here somewhere and not down here. Or you'll be more like Christ. And, and even the ups and downs, instead of being like this, pretty soon it's just more, just a little bit. Because right, there's greater consistency in our lives as Christians. Um, but we can't do this on our own. We need each other's help. And the help that we can give to each other, uh, we, what we don't want to overlook, is primarily going to be seeking the Lord on behalf of each other and praying in the same manner that Paul did for ourselves and for others and, and vice versa. And, as we, and as, we, as we think that way, then we will become that way. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you again for your goodness and kindness and grace. And we thank you, Father, for the example of Paul and the example of the prayer that he was praying for these Philippian believers. And so, Father, we ask you help us to continue to, to strive to become more spiritually minded, uh, to think your thoughts after you, to think about life in this way as a Christian. And so, Father, we ask that you would give us that wisdom and that discernment that we need. So, Father, we can... Um, make some of those hard decisions and, and differentiate between what's good and what's best uh, and, and what is profitable um, and, and what is maybe very profitable.
We pray, Lord, that you would enable us to uh, think in ways that reflect the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. Father, we ask now that you would continue to cause us to think about these things throughout each day. We pray you bring us back to your word and that we would continue to, to feed our soul the word of God on a regular basis. We ask now that you keep us safe as we go home and watch over us through the rest of this week. We thank you and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.